100% born in the Appalachian Mountains and made in the USA, Timber Ninja Outdoors provides a range of mobile hunting options to accommodate diverse hunting preferences. Whether you prioritize comfort, lightweight design, or versatility, their two-panel and single-panel saddles collection has something for everyone. The Black Belt Nano is the lightest single-panel saddle available on the market, weighing in under a pound. The saddle is designed with the minimalist hunter in mind, focusing on lightweight functionality and breathability. One notable feature is the patent-pending magnetic stick clip system on the side, which allows for convenient transportation of sticks up the tree, as well as a built-in platform holder. The Nano Saddle can be folded up to the size of a Nalgene bottle, enabling easy portability. With a four-way stretch material on the back for a comfortable fit, as well as strategically placed padding for hip pinch relief. You can use code EASTMEETSWEST to get free shipping on any Timber Ninja order. If you try it out and don't like it, send it back within 30 days for a full refund. Learn more at TimberNinjaOutdoors.com and sign up for their email newsletter for exclusive discounts and product drops. When it comes to optics, I get the same question over and over again. What are the best all-around binoculars? Well, it's tough to find something that works in every condition great, but after using a pair of Maven B1.2 10x42s, I think I found them. They feature an 8x or a 10x option, superior low light performance, tack sharp edge-to-edge clarity, a generous depth of field, and a silky focus mechanism. All of Maven Optics have a lifetime no-fault warranty and hail from the great state of Wyoming. I've been using Maven Optics since I bought my first pair in 2017, and I think you should test them out for yourself. Head over to mavenbuilt.com and use the code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT for a free gift with any full price optics order. For all of those that want a truck bed cover for work or play, Diamondback makes the top of the line heavy duty covers that help you do more with your truck. They're perfect for the truck owning, avid sportsmen, outdoor enthusiasts, and weekend project warriors. I'm currently using the HD cover that can is capable of holding up to 1,600 pounds on the top. And then I have the Yakima overhaul HD bars on top so I can put my rooftop tent on it. When I'm not using my rooftop tent and able to use the trifold design of the Diamondback, I have the Crossbin 8 in there to organize all of my stuff in the back of my truck bed. Diamondback is made right here in Phillipsburg, Pennsylvania. If you want to check them out, head over to diamondbackcovers.com. If you've wanted that hunting camp tradition that we talk about, that experience, but you don't have a hunting camp of your own, you're welcome to come stay at my hunting camp up here in the Pennsylvania wilds called the Elk Crossing Getaway in the PA wilds. So if you go over to Airbnb, you can check out our three-bedroom, one-and-a-half-bath house that's right in the heart of Pennsylvania elk country. It's only minutes away from a bunch of public land to be able to hunt, hiking trails, outdoor recreation, fishing, all of those things there. The house is completely fully stocked with everything that you need to be able to, to spend a week hunting deer, taking your family up to see the elk, anything like that. So if you head over to Airbnb and search Elk Cross and Getaway in the PA Wilds, you'll find my listing there and you can rent out my house to send us a message and inquiry that you're interested in it and mention that you heard it on the podcast here, then we'll get you 10% off of your first day. Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome 
back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Spartan Forge. On today's episode, I am joined by my friend Jake Hofer of Exodus Outdoor Gear and Land Agent for Land Pros. We discuss everything surrounding how to buy or build a deer camp, how to finance your dream hunting property, common misconceptions with buying property, making your property pay for itself, and much more. On this week's Mountain Buck Monday Story of the Week, we have a story coming out of both Pennsylvania and New York from Aaron Pascarette. And his story goes, On the morning of November 9th, my buddy and I set up on a finger ridge that historically holds a lot of buck sign. An hour after sunrise, I spotted a buck cruising about 100 yards away, and a few bleats and grunts brought him within range. I had dreamt of tagging a buck in this spot for a few years, and my best friend was there to film the whole hunt. My next chance to hunt was in New York for opening weekend of rifle season. That Sunday, we got several inches of snow, and it wasn't long until I cut a fresh buck track. As I was following the track, a bear suddenly jumped up to my right, and one shot from my 450 dropped him in his tracks. I hadn't cut a bear track in one and a half days of hiking, so that's the last thing I expected that day. I spent the following afternoon still hunting through a series of bulls and drainages on the leeward side of the same mountain and eventually spotted a nice buck feeding in a creek drainage below me. The wind was constantly swirling, so I took the first good shot he offered. I never imagined that I would take my best bow buck and my first New York bear and buck in just four and a half days of hunting. I spent a lot of time scouting and shed hunting in the early spring, and it paid off big this year. What I thought would be my toughest season due to the lack of time quickly turned in my best to date. It's hard to condense these stories into so few words when so much work and effort went into these hunts. All three were taken deep in the mountains on public land in 2022. I really enjoy the podcast podcast and content. Well, thanks for sending in that story, Aaron, because that's a pretty phenomenal season. I have two bucks and a bear and four and a half days of hunting and just shows preparation really puts you in a good spot. And I really recommend everyone to go check out the photos, some great photos of the bucks and the bear over on East meets West hunt on Instagram and East meets West outdoors on Facebook. So check that out. And, uh, yeah, definitely, definitely check that out and submit your own mountain buck Monday story. Uh, you can send that into my email bow at East meets West hunt.com. And, uh, I'd love to be able to share it, but, uh, In other news this week, so I just wanted to let you know that I've been getting a bunch of emails that that people have just found out about the podcast and then found out about the scouting camp that we do every year. And they're wondering how, what is the best way to know information about this and when it comes out, make sure you hit registration. And the best way to do that is to sign up for my email list at my website, which is eastmeetswesthunt.com. A little pop-up comes up. Just fill out that form, put your email in there, and uh, that's where I notify everybody first on any important information. So uh, definitely go ahead and do that. Uh, Next, well, I guess it's going to be next weekend or two weekends. June 1st through 4th is uh, Total Archery Challenge in Seven Springs. So I will have a booth there with some apparel, hanging out, podcasting. And then I'll be right next to a booth, uh, Timber Ninja's booth. So I'll be kind of bouncing back and forth there. So you want to come try out saddles, climbing sticks, camera arms, all the different accessories and stuff there. 
you can come hang out with us and love to love to be able to see you there. It's such a fun event. So looking forward to that. And uh, lastly, or no, I guess one more thing before I say lastly, I haven't been out turkey hunting since the first week. I was in Montana filming outdoor class and uh, then came back and had some truck issues and some other things that had led to, and just a lot of work to catch up on. So I haven't been turkey hunting, but I hope to get out here. I'm recording this on Friday before this goes live. So I'm hoping to get out this weekend um, for a morning and hunt turkeys a little bit, but honestly haven't been extremely motivated to do so. Just kind of focus on some other things right now. And uh, that's kind of the, the nature of it. But lastly, I mentioned, you know, my truck, it was getting pretty tired out. I'll say the heavy Chevy, as I called her, uh, pushing 180,000 miles and just having quite a few problems and, uh, didn't think it was going to pass inspection next month. So ended up trading it in on my first ever new truck. So I, uh, if you've heard me talk about purchases in the past, I basically said, I didn't think I'd ever buy a new truck, but, uh, after two years of looking and trying to find the right deal on a used truck just wasn't going to happen on something reliable that I needed to be able to drive me across the country. So ended up doing a lot of research, talking to a ton of people and ended up on a new Toyota Tundra. Supposed to be some of the most reliable. Everyone loves Toyotas that has them. They swear by them. I don't know, but I got a Toyota Tundra. I'm excited about. I got a, I uh, ordered uh, three inch lift kit for it or leveling kit basically, and some bigger tires, some 35 inch tires for it and uh new diamond back cover since my other one won't work on that. So new diamond back, and then going to, going to throw my bars on there and, and uh rooftop tent. I got a go fast campers rooftop tent that I'm going to throw on it and try to build this thing to be a pretty cool hunting rig. So I'll probably do once I get it all set up and try it out and stuff, do a video kind of my loadout on it on YouTube. But yeah, so very excited about all of that. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's been a, it's been a busy time of the year here. So just, uh, looking forward to, to total archery challenge, doing some shooting and just getting ready for the upcoming year. But Anyways, thanks everyone for all of your support. Everyone's been leaving reviews and sharing it with their friends. I really appreciate that. And I hope you enjoy this podcast with Jake Hofer. All right, Jake Hofer, welcome to the podcast, man. It's good to to have you on. Thanks, Bo. I appreciate it. Um, Felt like it was just Harrisburg not too long ago when we saw you last and had you on on the Exodus podcast. Yeah, I know it's it is uh it's funny because it's it's already uh, almost May as we're recording this, and I was like, time's flying by because that definitely seemed like it was just yesterday. I was sitting in that your guys' Airbnb recording before the show. <laughs> I know, yeah, yeah, it's uh, it is crazy. It seems I always thought it was kind of BS when people older people were like, "Man, time just goes faster. Time just goes faster," and. In my late twenties now, and I I believe it. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's crazy. <laughs> the years go way faster. Yeah, no, that's, that's it's so true. It's it's like I as I was looking at it, I'm planning out, and you know, as we get busier and busier, and I'm planning out, and I feel like every week's like planned out. And next thing you know, it's going to be hunting season again, and it's just like this this vicious cycle that I wish it would uh, um, you know slow down a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean. I think there's there's beauty in being busy and things that you love doing. And so I, I'm always thankful for that. It's like I could have a, 
a job where things go really slow and I'm dreading and I'm counting down to Wednesday's hump day, Thursday's, you know, Friday Eve. <laughs> it's like my weeks aren't like that. <laughs> They're gone. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's, uh, it's really wild. And, 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 uh, it's funny because anybody that, that knows me or like family members or anything, they think like once I quit my, my full-time job that I'm just like lounging around the house and just going and, and, you know, hunting when I want and doing that. And I'm like, man, I'm busier than I ever was right now. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. How, how hard, like, what's that transition been like so far? Cause you've been, it's over a year, a year and a half now. It's literally a year to the day of right now when I were recording this. So yeah, that's awesome. Good for you. Yeah. So no, it's been, it's been good, but it's been challenging from the standpoint of, I'm a very scheduled guy and like I did well under the the 7 to 4 structure that I had to do there and with with this style of of you know I guess with the podcast and everything it's it's a little bit different like I think most days I stay under a pretty uh strict schedule but like also it's like I can take advantage to go out in the woods if I want and do things that random times during the week and maybe work on the weekend instead. And it's like, I'm, I'm getting more hours in. It's just not in those exact same time windows as I used to do. Uh, so that was like, I'd get this feeling of guilt if I'd be like out in the woods and I'm like, no, this is part of, part of what I need to do. Like this is part of, (laughs) part of work, but, uh, no, it's been good. It's been, um, it's been a good transition. I really can't even imagine, uh, going back to anything like I, like I was doing, I can tell you that. <laughs> that's good. That's that's excellent. Yeah. How? Uh, so, what what was your background from like the work standpoint? Because I met you through Exodus. So, as as uh, the listeners will hear here, but then and now you're you know you're doing real estate and you you got a whole bunch of stuff going on. Yeah, man. So, I actually got my real estate license my senior year of college, and I always had a natural curiosity of land, had the goal of owning land. And I just felt like that was one of the easiest paths of figuring, like surround yourself with where you want to be. And so other land brokers that have been doing it for a long time, other land buyers, land sellers. And so I guess the brief history of mine is got my real estate license my senior year of college. Um, I actually started interning with Exodus my senior year of college to graduate. So that was 2017, 2016. And I've had my license ever since, and then I've been with Exodus ever since. So I've kind of had both careers grow side by side. And I don't want to give the illusion that I had a lot of success with real estate out of the gate. It took some time. Um, I lived in the suburbs of Chicago for about a year and a half, two years, and really disliked that. And so once (laughs) once I got back to uh, where my wife and I are from, and so that's when when my real estate career really started to to get some footing and, and traction and really the last three or four years have been awesome i've learned so much i've met so many awesome people and uh so that's where i'm here today yeah i think i think that's so cool i didn't i didn't realize that from your background that you had done the real estate thing you know first essentially or like kind of wanted to go that path and i i thought exodus was like first and then you decided like to go off and do this as well yeah, my junior year of college, I was like, I'm going to get my license because I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do post-grad. And so I was getting my license and then I ended up passing the test my senior year. I skipped class. My roommate drove me up and I'm reading the book <laughs> while I'm going <laughs> up there. And so I got it passed. And then, um, you know, it kind of worked out to where real estate obviously is very silical. It's not, you know, we're talking about freedoms and things of that nature, which means you're not sure when you're going to get 
your next payday. And so I wanted to kind of grow those two careers in tangent. And that's what I've done. And <clears throat> it's been it's been a good formula so far. I think last year was extremely busy. And so from both standpoints of Exodus and then also real estate. And so it has been a little challenging at times to, to balance all of them. Um, but given my radius of where I serve has gotten tighter because of time constraints. So I've just really honed in my backyard and, and you know, leverage my knowledge of the area and, and really try to help people, you know, buyers and sellers. Yeah. And, 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 uh, I, I can imagine as Exodus is growing like crazy and, and you're just, you know, involved right in the, the very, I guess, base structure of the company and, and building it and planning and doing that, that that's challenging. And then, you know, with the, the real estate side of it too, but that is nice that it is a little bit more flexible as far as, uh, kind of the work schedule there. Yeah. I mean, last year, I don't think I really had a full weekend to myself the entire year. Cause I mean, that's when most people are looking at farms as the weekends or after work. And so it, it does complement each other very well. I just don't get as much farm projects and things that I want to get done, which is fine, but you really have to be concise with your time. I've, I've started getting up way earlier to get on un, uninterrupted work time, you know, get, get two hours before the day really starts. And that in itself has been impactful to to getting more productive and just squeezing more hours out of the day so that's something i've adopted pretty heavily in the last year and a half or so yeah no that 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 makes sense and what's funny is i've always heard everybody talk about you know real estate agents or land agents or however you want to you know it's like oh man that's a dream job like you just go out and walk properties and show things but like i see it from the side i know enough people like yourself and everybody else that it is one of those things that it can be really great at times when you got sales coming in and it can be really slow when you're working off you know commission yeah absolutely and that's i think a lot of people think the job's really easy and there's certainly jobs that are harder than, than what that is but I don't think people realize that you just because you're a good deer hunter or you can pick a piece apart, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a good real estate agent because there's so much that goes into it. The financing, understanding people's goals, understanding the process intimately and having enough deals under your belt to understand what roadblocks may come down in a deal and communicate that with your buyers before they get into the deal or the sellers. And so I think some of the best agents that I know have both. They understand land they're lifetime learners. They're trying to learn as much as possible from as many people as possible. Understand government contracts for CRP or EQIP and understanding different bills that are coming down the pipeline. And then also understanding what the potential neighborhood is for deer. If that's really important, you really need to be transparent with them. Like, hey, what's what is your goals? Well, I want to kill a solid deer. Okay, this neighborhood can accomplish that. Yeah. I want to kill Boone and Crockett deer. I think we should keep looking. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's all encompassing and it's something that you just you have to be completely bought into to really provide a service because that's the last thing I want a buyer or a seller to feel that they didn't have a true representation of what they expected and I think that that's really key and and, a lot, and the best agents do that. You know, it's it's kind of funny because that is similar to deer hunting from the standpoint. It's like, okay, you look at it and when, when you want to go hunt somewhere, it's like, okay, what are your goals? And, you know, you know, thinking about like the size of the animal, like what do you want to try to have an opportunity to 170 inch plus buck? Okay, well, you know, is that possible in Pennsylvania? Yeah, that's possible, but you may want to look somewhere else. Now, where, now what's your budget look like? Uh, exactly. You know, as far as like, do you want to go that's with an outfitter or is, what's your budget even in time? Because 
if you're going to do it yourself, you're still got to probably put in a lot of time and like an yeah. understanding, like I'm sure that kind of goes hand in hand with, you know, buying land and, and land management and, and, and all of that. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, I think that's something that a lot of buyers struggle with is having realistic ex- expectations from a lot of different things. You have guys that are stuck from prices 10 years ago, and then maybe their expectations will never be in line with where things are at or where they're going to be. And also just realizing that, you know, the amazing honey hole deal with incredible hunting and next to a giant track that there is no, those are so far and few in between. And you could sit and wait for 20 years for that deal to happen. And I think you're better off to get the ball rolling and get some deals under your belt as a buyer. And you're going to learn and, and get a break along the way. But the the analysis by paralysis is very deep with a lot of buyers in my opinion yeah and because you can always like you can always sell the property and you know buy the next thing as if if that comes up you know it's like the same thing with i i've seen people you know from pennsylvania and stuff that wanted elk hunt and they're like waiting on getting these you know great tags and they're they're you know they're putting in for years and years and like that that opportunity and now you know got point creep and stuff involved and it's taking longer and longer and it's like are you ever going to get that opportunity at that great tag that you want or could you just go and start you know hunting these over-the-counter units or these you know these other things and just start getting reps in and then eventually you know it gets to that point it's yeah that's a direct parallel i think that's a perfect way to explain it yeah no that's it's it's funny because like for me so where i grew up there's, you know, tons and tons of public land around and I've always hunted a lot of public. I've hunted some private, I've hunted lease ground, I've done, you know, kind of all of that. But my dream has always been to like own my own property. And I remember probably four years ago, I went and looked at a piece that was like 40 some acres and I was going to build, you know, I was going to build my house on it and I was going to overlook this field and it was in, you know, some big buck country for Pennsylvania. And I was like, then I was like, all right, the price isn't that bad. And then I got into the whole financing side of it and I was like, I don't know what to do here. And it was like a, and this was a for sale by owner type thing too. So they weren't really able to help me out as far as understanding what I needed to do. And I just felt completely lost. And I think that's one of the, one of the huge pros of going through somebody like as far as like yourself or like a real estate agent or somebody that can help you. And like you just said a little bit ago, has that experience and understands those roadblocks that you come into of like, oh, you know, does it, what's it going to cost to put in a septic, you know, here and, and run electricity and do all those types of things. Like that's, that's not simple to figure out when you don't have the the background in it. Absolutely. I think for sale by owners can be a great opportunity to get something at a, a really solid price, but as a seller, I, I have concerns because in that situation, what if they had a broker to kind of quote unquote, hold your hand throughout that process? May it went through. And so, yeah, you're exactly right. I think having a real estate agent or a buyer's agent in your corner to make sure it goes through is paramount in getting a deal to the finish line, because there are a lot of roadblocks. And I think I always preach to, to everyone on the land podcast is find a great lender. You're going to go look at all, all these properties, but Go shop is intense for a parcel as a lender, and you're going to find a banker that's awesome, that's willing to help you out, explain all your different options, and the people that do that get to where they need to go. And I think what happens is when people find the parcel first, and then there's a level of being frantic, because you're like, I I really want this, I want to figure out a way to make it happen. And then you have blurred vision on, are you really making the best decision? 
to where if you get the hard stuff out of the way and then you find the parcel that you like, you you have a much higher probability of getting a deal done. And also you can go to that for sale by owner or that seller say, hey, I have all my ducks in a row. I'm pre-qualified for this. Um, I yeah. know what I'm getting into. Let's let's try to get a deal done. And I think that's uh, that's so important. Yeah, and, and your podcast, the Land Podcast. So, like, a lot of the people here probably know you a lot from the the Exodus Podcast. But you know, you also run the Land Podcast, and you have a website and everything that's surrounding that, and a lot of really good information as far as like, again, for myself of wanting to learn and eventually buy land like i i've been able to to see that like right now the house that that i own um is on eight acres so it's a, a smaller piece but it's like a starting type thing for me yeah. and then you know, i bought an investment property that i turned into an airbnb and it's like i'm starting to get you know none of that's like my dream situation but it's like i'm I, I learned like I need to get the ball rolling and, you know, start building some equity and some of this stuff. And, and, you know, eventually I can turn and f- flip and sell some of these places and, and, you know, buy something a little bit better and, and nicer there. But I also learned that, that the lender side of it, what you just said is because like, I found this property when that one I was telling you about four years ago, but I had no idea how to buy it. And then I was like, just Google searching, like, and there's not a I'm lot of concise information. Yeah. <laughs> like, who's yeah. going to give me a loan for land? And everyone's like, oh, for land, you need a, like 40% down and all this stuff. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. Like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Um, so what, what, you, what it, go ahead and uh, go ahead. explain. I was going to say, that's such a, that's one of the biggest hurdles is the down payment for people to get in the game. And that's where the first parcel I bought, I put 30% down and I went with the local bank that I, that I already banked with forever. And then I continue to shop around and, and talk to more people and make more introductions. And then I found a lender that does 15% down. Okay, well, that's substantially easier for, yeah. for the average person. And so I think that is why it's so important just to shop around. I've seen as low as 10%. And then I've seen, you know, there's lenders closer to that 40%. But as a rule of thumb, I think 20 to 25% is what people should have in the back of their mind of what they need. You make enough phone calls, you'll find a bank that will offer that will have a loan product for you with twenty percent down. Do you do you feel like some of the the bigger banks and and lenders are the better option for this, or do you think like trying to find the localized ones like you were discussing is a is usually where you find the better deals there? Personally, I think without a doubt, it's the small lenders, the single branch bank. Maybe they have three branches. They're experts in the area. The first parcel I bought, they didn't even get an appraisal because they're like, we know what, this is our backyard. You're buying it right. Okay. And so that saved me 500 bucks. Cool. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't have to pay for an appraisal. And, and that's kind of unique in itself. But absolutely, I think uh, exhaust all the small different banks that you can find. I mean, through Google searches or maybe another thing is too, is let's say you're buying ground four hours away from your house. It's still in Pennsylvania or maybe it's a different state. Go where you're buying the ground. And go find the local banks of that area too, because they're going to understand their neighborhood and market better than a local bank where you're at, you know, four hours away. So I, I can't exhaust that enough. Call as many small banks and credit unions as possible, and you will thank yourself so much more throughout the process than, you know, flipping it around. Because people always think you have to find the farm first and then figure out the finance. And it's, it's the exact opposite. You need to find a great lender that's going to help you achieve your goals and then go find the parcel. That's, that's such a good piece of information. Again, from someone that struggled from 
that side of it and figuring it out. And it, and, and then it ended up like when I went to buy the, the property that had uh, with having a, a home on it, it was a little bit easier from when I was buying the, the place that I turned into a short-term rental property. But it was like, then I, I found a local bank and I ended up switching all my banking to this bank because they're great. And they had all these deals that I didn't even know were possible because they're local. And, and you, sometimes you get like, especially when you live in small towns and stuff, they're like, Oh, we know, we know your dad, we know, yep. you know, like this, you know, we'll help you out here. And it's just like, just got really good service from, from that standpoint. And it really helped to be able to, uh, be able to find, you know, decent financing options. What, what do you think like right now with everything at, you know, with the interest rates and everything being high, what have you seen struggles as far as with that, um, from the, you know, from your standpoint with helping people buy properties? People can definitely afford less, uh, less, less ground. And so it's, it's so fun watching markets unfold because when things were hot and prices were, you know, pretty aggressive, then, people are thinking, well, I'm going to wait for the prices to go down. Okay, well, we haven't really seen them retract, but your purchasing power is probably almost halved to what, you know, a three, three and a half to a 7% interest rate in terms of your actual purchasing power and monthly payments. And so, yes, it definitely has, I don't want to say it's slowed things down, but I think it has woken up buyers of, okay, I really need to crunch the numbers on this and I can't afford as maybe as what as much as I could have a year ago. And so, I mean, that's dynamic. And I think the other thing to consider, have you ever wanted to have Levi Morgan, Andy May, Johnny Stewart, and others available at all times? Well, you can with CyberScout from Spartan Forge. CyberScout is like the chat GPT for outdoors men and women. You can ask it any questions related to bow building, scouting, hunting, survival, and a whole lot more. I think you'll be impressed with how it responds. CyberScout is currently out now for a select group of early beta testers and will be available to the rest of you really soon. The entire app is a complete tool for planning your hunt with incredible aerial imagery mapping, journaling, deer prediction, and some of the most accurate and detailed weather data. Use the code EASTMEETSWEST to save 20%. And if you're still on the fence, give the 14-day free trial a chance at SpartanForge.ai. CVA has been America's number one selling muzzleloader brand for over a decade. Hunting with a muzzleloader opens up a ton of hunting opportunities across the U.S. And I've been using the Acura series. But they don't only make badass muzzleloaders. Their line of centerfire rifles are great quality and not terrible on the wallet. The Cascade Short Barrel is ideal for tight quarters, deer drives, and quick shots in the big woods. You can check out their line of muzzleloaders, rifles, and accessories for every season and every range at bpioutdoors.com CVA. If you use the code EASTMEETSWEST10, you'll get 10% off of all CVA products, which includes rifles, muzzleloaders, and accessories. And I hate to even predict because obviously no one can predict anything, but as a rule of thumb, let's say we're at 7% now. For a long historical time, I think land price or land interest rates have been around that five and a half, six percent range. So really not that much higher than what it has been. And you can always refinance if it goes lower. I don't think I would necessarily bank on that happening by any means. But yeah, I mean you just have to you have to make the mortgage calculator on Google your friend and start running numbers and see what what you really can afford because that's the thing you know everyone knows their own finances better than anyone else like i can tell you all these different things but you know 
whatever quality of life that you want to have or whatever you really want to splurge on. And then if you do find a piece that you really like, well, do I really need, do I really need another a new truck with a six, $700 uh, car payment? Maybe not. I mean, like for me, I would, I would drive a junker and own more ground. That's just my personal opinion. And that's, that's what I enjoy more, but there's people that have different goals. And I think people before they, they dog on people that are buying ground or anything else. Cause they're, th- what's interesting to me is, the entire space has somewhat, and I could be, someone could th- say I'm wrong, but I feel like it's been somewhat demonized to own ground or to buy ground or just people that really knuckle down and make stuff happen is somewhat demonized. But they're the ones that made it happen. They're the ones that did the yeah. work. They're the ones that had two jobs, three jobs to make it happen. And I think it's easier to project frustration to them when you just really need to, do you really need the car payment? Do you really need, you know, all the dumb, dumb stuff that people pay? too much money on like cut that stuff out and it's so attainable you could do it if you knuckle down for two years you'll have a down payment and you can start the process and you'll realize that was the hardest part was knuckling down for two years and so i think that's what what people really need to realize and interest like control what you can we can't control the economy we can't control land prices we can't control interest rates but what can you control your diligence and making your goals happen yeah and 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 that's that's such a good point like i i remember I worked with a guy years ago that had owned some like really awesome properties and I worked at the same place as him and I was like, how did he do this? And finally him and I got close and he was a big deer hunter and he's from Ohio and I was like, okay, what, you know, just started asking him like, how did you do this basically? And he's like, I started with like a 13 acre piece and you know, it, it, you know, he made a few improvements on it and turned it around and sold it. And then he bought a piece of property in Missouri that was like, at that time, he got a pretty decent deal on it, a little bit bigger, sold that for another bigger piece. And then next thing you know, he had a couple like awesome properties and it was just like, but it was over a, you know, 25 year period of time and, and, you know, and worked his butt off where he had a, a, you know, a job and, and sales and, and then also had a side business at home doing some other things. And it's just like, yeah, you look at it from the outside, you're like, oh, it's nice. He gets to go hunt these nice properties. It's like, do you see the work that he put in that to get over it? multiple decades? Yeah, over multi it's the long the long term play with it. And and the same thing like you said with the vehicles, like it's I've I've been struggling so much because I need a new truck right now. And not not necessarily like a brand new truck, but I need a truck and I've been just like, I haven't had a truck payment in three years. Cause I'm like, man, nice. it's nice. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, I'm just like, like, what can I do? I'm like, all right, I don't have any trips where I have to drive out West this year. I might be able to get through one more year and yeah. uh, be able to do that. Cause it's like, I have, you know, I'd rather spend money on, you know, either land or, or experiences more so than I would, um, you know, just to have the nicest, coolest things, just to to have them. And, and again, it's no fault in whatever anyone's uh, goals are, but you really can't complain about somebody else doing it. If you're making decisions that don't allow you to do that. Yeah, exactly. I think that's, you make up a good point of the guy that started small and over multiple decades, he got to what most people would be like, man, I would, I would really like that. But he started small. He probably wasn't super picky when he started. He just got the process going. And I think that's probably a misconception from a lot of people is that people think they just end up with a 200 acre track. There's people that do that. And usually it's the guy that worked his whole life and now he's retiring and and he's using some of the funds that he saved up over a long time. Or it's the guy that started small and continued to stair step up. And I, that's just the process. That's just the process that it is. Was it easier 20 years ago? Yeah. 
is it going to be harder 20 years from now? Probably. So it's like now is the best time to start. Yeah. And uh, I, I see it too. Like, and one of the reasons I was talking to you about like having you come on here was like, I've been trying to think hard of like what I can do as far as an impact with helping people have this deer camp tradition that I grew up with. I've learned it's a very special thing to be able to have. And like my dad's generation, like everybody had camps, like everybody had camps, whether it was families that like put in and, you know, got a camp together or whatever. And I see it kind of dying with our generation and not as many people doing it. And it's like, Oh, it's, you know, cost money to do that. Like, do you think like for somebody that's looking to have like a deer camp and, you know, maybe a smaller property or something, do you think it makes sense to buy a, a piece of ground that maybe this is a loaded question, but buy a piece of ground that doesn't have anything on it and put something there or buy something that's, you know, not, you know, that has some little bit of land, but it has a, a camp on it and, you know, fix it up. Or do you have any, or, or any thoughts on that kind of stuff? Yeah, I, I think it probably go, comes down to more so personal goals. I mean, here in Illinois, we don't have as rich of a tradition as what you guys do in Pennsylvania. Um, but there are still deer camps, but I, I don't think they're as rooted here as it is, you know, in Pennsylvania. So yeah. I'm, I'm going to tell, say it from my perspective. I think maybe in where there are a lot of big tracks of public ground, if you could find a small piece with a cabin on it, and then you have 20, 30,000 acres to hunt, that could make a lot of sense. Or maybe you find the right piece in the right neighborhood and you think, well, we could, you know, we pitch in and we can make a makeshift building and improve it over the years. And I think that's an excellent option too. It just comes down to what everyone's goals and timelines are. I do think having a place to where, if that is the goal where you guys can all meet after a after a hunt or a day out and then incorporate the off season work where you guys are going up for a work weekend. I mean, I think that's probably where people get an equal amount of enjoyment, but maybe won't think about it um, until they're in the trenches of doing so. Yeah. And when, when you, when you go and like people are looking to buy property and say they really want something and they're like trying to figure out like how it's going to make sense. Maybe they even have the money for the down payment, but they're like, Oh man, you know, to have this, mortgage or uh or this payment every month like how do they justify it do you ever like you know talk to people about options as far as what they can do to make money on that property while they're not using it or like think of different types of creative odds there i think of all i think i'm thinking all the time yeah (laughs) (laughs) so i mean i think there's a handful of different things let's say you are a turkey hunter maybe you could lease out the turkey rights or maybe there is a building and you guys, you're not going to be there all the time. So you can do something similar to what you do at Airbnb. And then you have someone go in and clean it. And that's a great option. And then, I mean, there's just so many different things that, that you can do. I think one thing I would put a little bit of caution to is I think people have rose colored glasses for logging. <laughs> like they're, they're thinking, oh, I'm going to get in there and I'm gonna, that's the first thing I'm going to do is log it. You need to be really careful. You can only cut down a hundred year old tree once in your lifetime. And so I think you have to really be thoughtful with that and consult the forester before you do so. I would say that would be something because that's that's what everyone thinks. I'm going to buy it, I'm going to log it, and then it's going to pay for the parcel. I don't, I mean, maybe those deals do exist. I think they're far and few in between, but it's something to have in your pocket. And the last thing you want to do is go in and then extract all the equity out of the property if it's already a challenge. Meaning if you're, if you have an Excel sheet and you're trying to figure out how to squeeze $500 here or a thousand dollars there, then maybe you need a smaller parcel and then just be really cautious before you extract equity out of the property, meaning taking out the timber. 
Yeah. It, and uh, it, it's funny you say that because I remember there actually was like one of those dream type situations that I didn't see it at the time when I was looking at a piece of property, another one. And, and I, I knew the the land agent that was selling it and he's like, Bo, I think you can log this and you're going to, you'll be able to pay for all this, but also like do it, the timber stand improvement in like a way that was also not just like clear cutting the whole thing, like uh, uh, like a good management practice by going through and, you know, picking the right trees and, and making it so that it will grow the next, you know, forest sure. and, and doing yeah. that correctly. And I have a, a really good buddy that's a forester and that's how I was, you know, kind of looking at it. And I still just couldn't like, I'm like, man, like, how is this, you know, this property, like, how is it going to pay for it? Blah, blah, blah. Well, anyways, I ended up passing along this deal to a friend of mine who bought it and did that exact thing. And it actually worked out that way. And, uh, Excellent. and then was able to like, eventually, you know, after owning it for a few years, build started with like a garage and started with just building that just to store some stuff there. They had a boat and some other stuff to store their equipment there. And then, you know, a couple years later, then started building onto the cabin to be able to have that. And I was like, man, that's a, a really cool way of doing it. And, you know, I always think of, and I'm always like thinking of ways that you, what you can do with land also. And it's like, like I've learned it from the short-term rental game, like with, with Airbnbs is like, you can, you know, it's, it's hard. It was always hard for me to like want somebody else to be in your, you know, home or your cabin or whatever. Mm -hmm. But if you find a, a decent location, like, you know, there's through a lot of public land areas, there's a lot of like ATV trails and stuff that are popular in the summertime and everything. You get something that's located close to there. Maybe during the summer when you're not there as much, you could rent it out and let people stay there and maybe put up a little shed or something they can store their ATVs in and when they're, you know, and have this place there. And then you could, you can fund that property kind of as you go as far as with your payment and be able to think of some creative ways of doing it or if you bought a, a bigger piece and you wanted to put your own cabin there or maybe it has one maybe you have you know some uh you know you put up a couple of those you know fifteen twenty thousand dollar cabins you know remote type cabins mm-hmm. that you can rent out for 70 80 dollars a night and be able to to help pay for some things too i don't know i think there's like some creative ways that you can do this stuff yeah, there's a there's so many different ways to to make it work. I think it, once again, it's just getting started and figuring out what is the best process for yourself. The other thing too, I'd say, if I wouldn't be completely opposed to buying a property that that was logged heavily before, so they already they got the blood on their hands. I can <laughs> sleep at night. <laughs> yeah. Now I can maybe buy a parcel that's quite a bit cheaper. I understand that there isn't a ton of value there, but arguably there's a lot of great habitat with uh, early successional growth that's going to happen afterward, and so. I think that's another thing to consider and it, it may look ugly, but if you're wanting to deer hunt, then okay, yeah. you were able to afford more and you don't have, you don't have to consider it because it's already been done for you. <laughs> yeah. Again, looking at your goals again, like that's, so there was another one time, one time I was looking at pieces that were in like old strip country, coal country. It's like mm-hmm. ugliest looking stuff property you could think of but man it was good for deer because it was thick you know it offered a bunch of cover and then some of the areas where they reclaimed it had grasses and it was almost acted like you had you know it could even plant some of this stuff as far as um for food plots or whatever else and it's just like you know it's like if you're not looking at that as far as the strict investment but you want it from the goal of i want a place to go to and hunt and have quality hunting experience then that can be a great option yeah, absolutely. That's where I, th- I think it's not to not to beat a dead horse, but it's literally just getting started. Yeah, like that's that's as simple as it is to say that's from 
all the people that I've talked to through the land podcast and, and outside of it, that's the common theme of that, of just getting started. And the other thing too is part of the reason I started that podcast is I was like you, I was trying to go out and seek other information out there. And I found that there wasn't a lot of great information at the time. There was some stuff, but it was kind of cobbled, pretty generic. And then I realized that these guys that have been doing it for 20 years versus the guy that's just getting started, such a huge knowledge gap. And so I was thinking, okay, well, how can I help bridge that gap? Because I, I do have a, a true passion of helping people buy their first farm. I think it's such an awesome process and such, I think, I think it's great. And so how can I help with that and just provide information to whoever throughout the entire country? And it's been cool. I've, the amount, I get a ton of emails from people from Pennsylvania that, you know, bought their first farm and, and they made the plunge and they, maybe they said, you know, I've been looking for four years and your podcast finally pushed me just to get started. And I think that's, that's the common theme here. It's like figure you'll you will figure it out if it is a priority. Yeah, and a hundred percent. And also, one of the things you just said there was like, you know, with you doing this podcast and get to talk to these people, that that's helping you a ton too because you're getting all that knowledge in you know from these people that you can apply to your own work. And I mean, a lot of the reason selfishly with me with this podcast is like I get to talk to people that are extremely knowledgeable in certain areas and ask them the questions that I always wanted to ask. Yes. And you know, that's helping a ton of other people, but it's also helping myself to mm-hmm. to be able to to be able to do that. And I think that's I, I think it's it's awesome how there are resources like your podcast and everything out there that can help you kind of just figure out how to get started. And I've I've come to learn with anything, whether it's business, it's hunting, you got to look at everything from a long term thing. Nothing's going to be like just fall into your lap with a you know maybe it does, but usually it's going to take a while to get to when it a hap- yeah. particular. If goal. something falls in your lap, it's because you were working hard on something for multiple years, like and then it's like, did it fall in your lap or did you earn it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, luck's a funny word. You know, it's a you know it's it's a it's a lot of you know you putting in that work and and then you putting in the time and and then eventually things line up and it works out so yeah that's how i kind of look at look at luck you know i you've talked to johnny stewart before and he's a good buddy of mine and he always says that he's like he whenever i tell him good luck he always stops me and he's like don't don't say that i don't believe in luck he's like it's just (laughs) if it works out it's because i put in the work and eventually something other outside things lined up and it worked out and i'm like that makes a lot of sense yeah yeah that's that's a that's a good way to put it yeah. And, and also, so do if you had people like come to like buy a farm or do anything where it's like, they're trying to think of creative ways on how to finance it, where they want to get like partners involved. Yes. Um, so actually I'll, I'll refer to a guest, uh, those are two guys out of Indiana. And so it's a guy, his brother and his dad, and then they brought in another guy. And so they'll go in and buy a farm with an LLC. And then, what I found really interesting is they'll have one guy. So you have four guys. The one guy takes the loan out, but in the articles, articles of incorporation, so the LLC or whatever, they have that one guy's taking out the loan, but the other three are helping pay for that payment. And so they have that farm established. They're working on it. Now, guy number two can go buy a farm and get the loan. And then now the other three guys are helping to pay for that one and then so on. So now they've got four guys together. Instead of buying one farm, where they're all on the loan and all goes against their debt to income, you can go get four farms and do so. And they had really strict rules. They sent over the document. It was actually really interesting to read. They had all the different rules. You know, if you have a kid, they can shoot whatever. But there was there was penalties if you shot a deer that was below the mutual the mutual group. And so I think 
the only word of caution I would have is be really thoughtful if you're going to do that with someone else. Number two, get all the expectations on paper so there is no animosity down the road. And then the other thing too is um, if let's say there was, it was you and someone else and you were going to go buy a farm and um, it already had two pins. So already had two pins for real estate taxes. Go buy the one pin. The other person goes, buys the other pin. It's basically one transaction. It's actually two transactions, but it's one sale. You own the West side. The other guy owns the East side. If you know, the world crumbles for one guy, you're not both getting drugged down by it. Like you own yours independently, but you're working together. It's basically one parcel. And I think that's a, that's the safest way to do it. Um, because there's, I've just heard the horror stories and then some of the, some of the properties I sell are partnerships that, that didn't do too well. So that just be extra cautious with that. There are a lot of unique ways to buy a bigger piece than what you could on your own, but there's, there's pros and cons to everything. So that would be something I would say. Explain what you, I I don't understand what you're talking about with the pins. Like, what are you talking about? So yeah, let's say there was an 80 acre parcel. And there was two tax bills. So let's say maybe one was 60 acres and the other one was 20. For whatever reason, at one point it was two pins. And mm, so it's okay. almost, it's very minimal work to make that deal happen. The other thing would be to buy it and then you could parcel it off after and then you settle up. So there's a lot of different ways to do it. But in that scenario, it's really seamless. And it might be a little bit different in Pennsylvania than it is here too. Yeah, no, I no, I, I think that is similar in Pennsylvania too. And, and I've seen more people too that will buy, they'll buy a bigger piece and then parcel off pieces of it that they don't really care to use or do anything yeah. just to, to, you know, recoup some of that money, uh, to be able to do that as well. Yeah. I showed a farm last night. It was a family and it was, you know, they let me know it's a little bit higher on the end of their budget and it's, you know, 70 some acres. And I said, well, what are your goals? And theirs was just to recreate. There's a pond on it. And I said, this six acres right here, you guys probably won't use. It would be an excellent building spot. If you guys decide to do that, you could sell off the building lot and you're going to get a higher premium because it's smaller and it's a building lot and it's going to get your dollar cost average for the whole farm drastically lower. And so that's a good point to bring up. If you're not going to utilize a part of the farm or you have no intention of of using it, then maybe it does make sense. One thing I would say is make sure you get a good neighbor (laughs) to where it it, it doesn't become a a little bit haunting would be something I would say. But yeah, I I think that's an excellent um, avenue as well. Yeah, like yeah, I, that 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 makes sense. I know like um a family member of mine that recently just bought a a, a house and some property and wanted a little bit more on the back side of the property and they contacted the landowner it just so happened these people bought this piece cuz they wanted this big field that was there, but they didn't really care about these couple acres that was out closer to the road which butted up against their property and they were able to make a deal to buy those extra couple acres and it didn't matter. So it's like you know, it worked out for them. They were able to recoup some money off of it, but also, you know, from the other standpoint to, to be able to add to it. But going back to the partners thing, I think that's a really good thing to bring up. You know, I've come to learn this with business and anything else, just because somebody's your friend doesn't mean they'd make a good business partner, which buying a property is a business endeavor. However you want to look at it. Cause like I, I see it around here all the time with camps of, they fall apart because, you know, one person has expectations that they want to make this place amazing and that, you know, they're going to have a brand new roof. They're going to do this. They're going to, you know, 
they want to put an addition on. The other person just wants a place they can go hang out and they're, they want minimal work. And it's like, if you don't have those expectations aligned, then you get into it and it's, it can be a, can be a problem. Or if like, just yeah. even like the, the general maintenance of it, like when it comes to buying a camp, you know, something that you're not going to be there very much. Someone's got to cut the grass. You got to go up and do cleanup and work projects and like understand that you're going to have to dedicate time towards doing that. And so do the other partners that are involved in making sure everybody's in alignment with like having an agreement, like you said, like lined out ahead of time, it would eliminate a lot of those problems. Well, I'm shooting a new bow this year and I am pumped. After playing around with the buddies Hoyt RX-8, the smile on my face made the decision for me. The first thing I noticed with the new Hoyts were their extremely smooth draw cycles and the ability to adjust the back wall to make it rock solid like I prefer. I outfitted my own RX-8 with the inline accessories that made installation extremely easy and balanced out the bow. My favorite accessory so far is a simple one. It's the GoStix 2.0 adjustable legs to make your bow like a tripod, but it doesn't interfere with any part of the bow or the limbs or anything like that. In addition, the integrated kickstand within the HBX Exact Cams protect your string from excess wear when you put your cam into the dirt. Ground hunting or spot and stock just got easier. If you want to experience what I'm talking about, head to your nearest Hoyt dealer and take a test drive yourself. You can learn more at Hoyt.com. The Mobile Hunters Expo is a consumer-based hunting show unlike any other. It provides an interactive learning experience where you can try all things mobile hunting and learn from the best in the business. Come experience an unbiased, community-based environment where you can improve your hunting skills and find the right equipment for your needs. I'll be speaking at the Nor'easter Show in Mannheim, Pennsylvania at Spooky Nook Sports from August 9th to 11th, 2024. So come check it out at, or either of the other shows in uh, Michigan and Georgia. You can purchase tickets online at the mobilehuntersexpo.com or grab tickets at the door. I'll see you there. Yeah, and maybe even throw in a sunset clause or something. So I think a lot of farms, most ownership, I know it's for houses. So let's say houses, most people live in a house for five years, roughly, for whatever reason, they end up moving. I'd say land is maybe closer to seven years. Maybe you throw in a seven, a seven year or six year sunset clause that allows someone to buy out the other half or whatever portion at a predetermined value or based off appraised value or, you know, get three, three appraisals and buy it at the average of the three appraisals. I think just having managing expectations as much as possible to where the point feels pointless and exhausting, you will thank yourself down the road, um, in my opinion, and then having some of those specific outs too is like, what if you get a new job and you have to move across the country? Okay, well then you're probably not going to use the property as much. So just having all these different plans, A, B, C, D, E, F, it, that's that's what I would say if you're going to consider buying it with someone else as a partner. Yeah, no, that's uh, that that's I never heard of that term sunset clause, but that that makes a makes a lot of sense. And 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 it, again, it sounds it sounds crazy, especially when things are going good and you're excited. You're going to buy a property together, and it's like, but once things gets down the road, you know, I even look at that. Like when I go on hunts with people, like Western hunts or whatever, it's like we're predetermined ahead of time. Like we talk about, all right, who's going to be the shooter? Who's going to determine how that's going to work out? And it's like, you know, at the beginning, everybody's like, oh, I don't care, man. Like you're good. Like you can go or like whatever. But it's, it's, it's so important to have that just kind of lined out. It sounds crazy at the time, but 
being able to follow that plan, it's like no one can get mad at anybody else and think they're trying to slight them. It's just like you have that plan and you're able to to move forward with it. Yeah, absolutely. Because that's the last thing you want. Obviously, find a piece of ground with someone you're probably close to them or good friends. That's the last thing you want is that that parcel to to split a good friendship. And I think it happens too much. And I think what it roots to is this managing expectations. The other thing to consider too is let's say the two guys buy it and they're in their thirties. Well, their families are probably going to extend. So what happens then? Like just having everything, like think of all the different avenues and have it documented, agreed upon. And I just think that's the way to go. But I think the, those guys from Indiana do it really well with how they have it structured and to where, how they are able to buy more by having it structured with different, you know, each guy having a different loan and being quote unquote responsible for it. And then, I, th- I think that's a really good strategy if you have a core group of guys that matches all those, you know, criteria. Yeah, no, I, ne- I never even heard of it that way before. And that's, that's, that's really interesting. Do you have, did you have them? Well, they're, they're clients, yeah, but they, if you out on yeah, the podcast at all? Yeah. Yep. Uh, Brad, Brad and Tim are their names. I did two episodes. I think I might've done two or three episodes with them. They, uh, uh they, the awesome guys to stay in touch with them. And they actually owned a farm in Indiana where the Huffbuck there were the guys that had the deer travel like seven miles. Oh, the, well, yeah. yeah. So oh, one yeah. of the farms that they owned as a group had the Huff Buck and they had them, you know, they sent me videos. It was funny because we talked about that. I think it was probably around in January of after, the, you know, so it was shot in 21, let's say. And I talked to them at the beginning of 22. And, you know, you get all sorts of inquiries and I'm like, all right, yeah, whatever. And then they sent me the deer as like a three-year-old with one side. It's like, wow, that's crazy. So I had them on there and I got to talking to them about land and how they because they were talking about the parcel that they own i had some natural curiosity so then i had them back on the land podcast and and they talk about it in pretty pretty good detail huh that's that's uh that's that's really funny how how that worked out too i I do remember that now because i listened to that episode it was on exodus right it was on the exodus yeah yeah, they've been on the exodus podcast yeah okay so i know exactly you're talking about a couple well i guess yeah a little over a year ago now that you had had them on there huh that's really yeah, wild. It's so, so yeah, the world is so small. <laughs> they were they were really fun to talk to. It really is, and it's it's cool when you get to when you spend when you put yourself around people that do you know that do that kind of stuff. And like I, I think one of the things that I've learned uh, anything I've wanted to do, and I surround myself with those people that have done it or are doing it. Like you pick up so much through osmosis of just like being next to them and like listening to them. And it's like the things that you think are these big hurdles, you know, say like for buying property aren't really as big of a hurdle when you see people that have done it and they've figured out, you know, tricks to it. Anything you start that's new is not easy to figure out, but you know, through time and being around the right people that can be, that can help out a lot. Yeah. I, I, I probably take it for granted of how much I've learned just through, the land podcast of talking to different people and different contacts and, and people I talk to off the podcast that just reach out and, and they want to share some information and you're exactly right. It's like figure out where you want to go and find people that are there and, and learn from them. Cause a lot of these guys are extremely self-made figured it out on their own. And those guys are so on average are so nice to share the information that they learn along the way. Like they're going to give you two decades of information that, it would have took you maybe three decades to learn if you're a slow learner yeah. like me. And so um, I just, I think you should really, anyone should, should not be afraid to pick up the phone and call people. Cause I think you'll be surprised at how much you can learn. Yeah. No, I, I, I 
would agree with that 100 percent. and and i've come to learn even people like we mentioned johnny earlier but johnny's bought some pieces over the years and i was just like yeah wondering how you know and and he's utilized his own skills that he had in his other business with excavation to be able to go in and do certain work and improvement yeah. you know projects and you know he's looked at it like he's talked to me because I've done, you know, the short-term rental side of it. And he was looking at a piece here recently and he's like, what do you think? He's like, I could, you know, bulldoze a road that would go up on this hill. And if I, you know, put a place up here, how do you think it would do in this area? And, you know, we utilize each other's skills from what we've yeah. learned to, to be able to look at and kind of evaluate things. And, and I, I can imagine really anybody's friend circles, you have these types of people that you can, you know, rely on to, cause you know, I, I know nothing about excavation or putting in roads or putting in a place to build and stuff and like so i always rely on him for that kind of information and he's like i don't know anything about you know renting something or doing anything on that side so you know we you know play off each other well for that standpoint yeah that that's a great point something i would like to do as well is every area has people that are doing it at a high level i don't necessarily think i'd call that guy up to ask for advice <laughs> yeah. like inherently be a competitor but find a guy that's maybe two states away that's doing it and you're like then they drop the curtain and really tell you everything that, that they need to know. And I, I think that's something that um, I've relied more on in the last you know year or two that has been good. So I mean, it's really, it's no different from deer hunting and everything else. It's like, go find someone that's doing it, learn as much as possible. And then don't be afraid to go do it and try it and learn on your own. Cause we can all absorb as much information about anything, but you just have to get started and start making mistakes and, and learn along the way. Cause if you don't, you're just going to have a bunch of information that you don't know how to use or yeah. implement and, 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 you know, get the, the push out of the nest to, to start. And so you were, uh, you were saying, talking from like a personal standpoint that you, do you own one piece of property or do you own two? Okay. Yeah. So explain so your own I personal process if you wouldn't mind. Yeah. So, um, I bought my first farm in July, June or July of 21. And then I ended up buying, it was actually pretty random. So I bought that piece. And it was listed. I had a feeling it was going to get listed. And this one actually worked out in the grand scheme of things. I think there's some good, some good lessons in this. So that one had two pins. So I was going to buy it. It was over, it was over 60 acres and I was going to buy it. And then I was like, I told my dad, I was like, do you want to go walk this piece with me? I'm going to buy it. And so we went and walked it and it had two pins. And he's like, man, are you sure you don't want like never owned any ground or anything, but he's like, are you sure? You know, like, I'd, I'd love to help buy it. And I was like, the somewhat stubbornness of, of me and pride is like, no, I want to buy it on my own. And that way no one can say I got any help whatsoever. And then I got, I started reflecting on it. It's like, I've never done anything on my own. I've always had someone believe in me, help me, <laughs> give me information. It's like, no, no one does anything on their own. And so I, I got to thinking on that and I was like, okay, there was two pins. I was like, I'm not buying this together. You buy, you buy the one piece, I'll buy the other piece. And so I bought that. And then it actually worked out for the best because then we drove by it. My grandparents owned where we live now. My grandparents owned this farm for, it was a multi-generational farm. They sold it in the seventies during the farm crisis. And I told my wife, I said, it'd be really cool to buy that piece if ever came up for sale. And then the guy that owned it called me. He's like, Hey, you know, we're going to sell this. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I might be interested. And I just bought a farm a week before, or literally like a week or two before. And the long, long and short of it is I was able to buy this parcel and you know like buy back the original farm and i wouldn't have been able to do that if i was stubborn and bought all of the <laughs> other one so it's like you know so it really worked out and so some lessons there the first one i bought i went with the local bank 
I had already talked to them previously and then I made a spreadsheet like, okay, here's my finances, everything else. And he's like, you're good. So I bought that. And then the other one, this is when interest rates were really, really low. So then I went to a different bank that specialized more in traditional mortgages. And so it was a house of 40 acres. And so I said, well, can I get a fixed rate, you know, a good interest rate on this house in 40? And they're like, yeah, we can do it. And so uh, and being self-employed too, I would say was a major hurdle and challenge throughout this process as well. So the other one was, the first one was really easy. And then when we were buying the house in 40, we had to sell our house. And so we got it sold promptly. And then it was a lender that had a similar situation before. It's like, I have, I have a K1. Like, I don't, I don't have a W2, like all these different things. Like, oh, that's no problem. And then, like a week before closing, this was in our first house. They're like, well, you need to provide this, this, and this, 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 this. And I was like, okay. Well. <laughs> Once again, managing expectations. I told you my whole scenario so we didn't run into this. And so I reiterated that again with this where we're at today. And the same thing. Like, oh, we're good. So then it was a week before closing. And there's a good lesson in this of not buying more than what, like have that buffer of cash. Like you have to come up with an extra $20,000 to close. And mind you, there's a string of deals. Like if one of these fall apart, because the people that we were selling our house to was selling their house and the people we're buying a house from, we're buying a new house and we're in the middle of this. And so the long and short of it is I was able to make it happen with basically putting everything on the line because you know we made it work and we had that buffer. And so we got this place with like a 3.25% fixed rate interest rate and we love it here. So it's there's some lessons in there of being managing expectations and having a buffer for worst case scenario because it may happen every now and then. Yeah, no, and that the, the closing costs and stuff is something you don't think of when you think of like what can I afford and do it. And I, I again paralleling this to hunting, I think about it when I go on Alaska hunts. When I go to Alaska you might be like, oh my gosh, I can go unguided. It's 3500 for this transporter. That's not crazy. Like I can make that happen. And then you start looking. It's like, okay, you got a tip involved. What happens if you have weather and your flights get canceled and you have to rebook your flights? There's an additional 800 to to $1,000. I was up there last time and it was like, we got done early. It was great. We tagged out and I went to switch flights. And it's like, this can be an extra $1,600. I'm like, what, what do you mean? Like I bought insurance on these flights. Well, that's doesn't cover that, you know? And it's like, okay, well, if I'm going to stay here longer, the hotel is going to be the cheapest one in yeah. this little village. The only one was like 400 some dollars a night. And I was like, it's a wash if I stay here an extra three days, you know? And, and like, but I, you know, I went into that. Someone told me like, make sure you have more than enough money. Don't go through when you're just scraping by to get there. Cause you're going to run into roadblocks and it can ruin your whole experience if you let it. And it sounds like it's the same way, you know, when buying, buying property or doing things, you know, when I bought, um, and when we bought the, the Airbnb property, it was like, okay, there's, there's uh, you know, you got the house and it's this it fixed. This is what the cost is. Okay put 20% down. There's that. Okay. Well, yeah, then you have, you know, the closing costs that I don't even remember what, what they were exactly, but I think it was like, you know, nine or $10,000 more that you have on top of that. And then you had to fix some things to just get it going and, and putting in the money and how to put new floors in the whole place and paint and doing all this stuff. And next thing you know, you have a lot more money than you thought about in it. And I will, I will say to everybody that, is looking at even like doing like short-term rental stuff. Like as I was saying, as a way to, 
to bring back some money. It's not as easy as every YouTube video says online that it's like this passive income stream because there's a lot to get it set it's up. It's very active, I would assume. It's very active. And it's, it's um, you know, now it's a little bit more hands-off that I'm, you know, a year and a half into it. And it, I've been able to like put some systems in place for it, but it's still, it's uh, it's an active, you know, you have to be responsive and customer service with the people that are staying there and, there's, there's a lot more to it. So understand that with anything like this, it's like there's, there's more to it than usually meets the eye. And as long as you understand that and are okay with like kind of rolling with punches sometimes it, you can do, you can do well with it. Like if you're a very high strung, high stress person that every little thing throws you off, it might not be the best route. (laughs) Yeah. And I, I think the other thing too is what made some of our process so challenging was being self-employed too. And obviously you, you utilize as a business owner and someone that, you know, has 1099 and stuff, you utilize deductions as you should. Like that's why the tax code is there. So then that can go back to bite you a little bit when you show a smaller income than maybe in reality, what would be equivalent to someone with a W2. And so that would be one other just, anyone that's out there that is self-employed that's one other thing to consider and whenever i do a project i just add 20 percent or 15 percent on top of whatever i think it is because most times that's where it ends up yeah <laughs> that's poor planning on my end but i think it's just a safe a safe approach yeah and uh yeah you're 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 totally on on point there it's like and that's why I went with me when i went went to go buy this property and get the loan i knew i was gonna be quitting my job and i was like i need to have i need to get this done before that happens <laughs> so yeah absolutely yeah that was wise <laughs> to make it make yeah. it a simpler thing and and i've also looked at like coming up with money in a different way now than I had in the past and realizing there's so many different ways that you can make income on the side. And, and I'm a part of an entrepreneur, uh, group. Um, I can't, um, it's the rich, rich ideas lab. It's Cody rich. He has a hunting podcast in the West had it forever. And, um, he's created this entrepreneurial group that, that I'm in and, and it's like a community and you go through and everyone's talking and they're always have every week they have a live a stream where they talk, they, they jam, they call it jam sessions on ideas mm-hmm. and like breaking down the numbers and stuff. And it's like, man, if you want to come up with money to buy a property or go on a dream hunt or do whatever, there's so many different options to do that. It's all going to require work, but there's there's if you make that a goal of yours to buy a piece of property like you can make that happen even if you're you know you have a job where you're on a fixed income and you got a family and all these things there's different things that you can do it might take you a little longer but there's things that you can do to to bump up that income a little bit and and be able to do that yeah we interviewed uh winky in iowa i think it would have been last year 22 and that was his one of his biggest pieces of advice to get started. It's like if you're a plumber, do side plumber work on the weekend. If you're an electrician, do side electrician work on the weekend. If you're like for your case, you're in media, edit videos or figure out a way to utilize the skills you already have in place to just stimulate your income. And that's something that has really opened my eyes with a lot of the people I've worked with in real estate. Almost all the guys have two, I must say two jobs. They have two different forms of income and sometimes three. Um, I told a, a parcel he worked for a fiber optic company and he did hats and created turkey mounts. That was his side thing. And he's like, I wouldn't. And then, you know, he sold that parcel and he bought a new one. He's like, I wouldn't been able to do this if I didn't have, have the side hustle. And so 
that is, I think, just so important to nail down. It's like everyone has skill sets. Everyone can do things that someone else can't. And so therefore, there is inherent value in, in things that I'm not going to run plumbing at my house or run electricity. I don't know how to do it. I'm going to hire a guy. And then, you know, if they need help with something else that I can do, they're going to hire me. So it, you just have to really utilize the skills that you have or, or develop one if, if you're thinking like, I don't know what I can do. I'm sure there's something that you can figure out. Yeah, I mean, there's so much there's so much free resources out there, and then also even even spending money. Like uh, a guy I follow a lot, and I've read his book, Alex Ramosi. He talks about he's yeah. like, do you, I don't know if you see his stuff, but yeah. I love his content that he puts out there. And he he talks about he's like, you know, he, he always wanted to fast track learning stuff. So he's like, I'll pay somebody, you know. $2,000 essentially to learn something faster to be able, because that skill that I've learned with that $2,000 will make me $200,000 down the road, you know, by learning that skill and, and investing in that education and, and learning that stuff is so, so good. And, and Cody explains it. And I can't remember the the term for this, but there's three things to look at when you're looking at like a side hustle or, you know, what are you good at? What do you like doing and what makes money and how can those like, you know, yes. cross over? Cause sometimes you like doing things that there's no way of making money. You know, like everyone yeah. jokes about that's that works in the hunting industry. Nobody actually gets paid to hunt. Like that's, not, that's, that's a fallacy. Maybe there's a couple out there, but you don't really get paid to hunt. There's, you know, these other things that you do that are within there that may give you more time to hunt or you can use the hunting to create content or whatever it is. But there's all these different skills and like when people you know talk to me like oh, how do you make it work you know doing a podcast full time it's like I have a whole lot of different income streams that are like <laughs> compiled together I was just talking to Chad yesterday him and I were texting about some business stuff and he's like you got a lot going on and I was like yeah yeah I do but it's like <laughs> <laughs> gotta gotta make it work so it's just like finding different things to to be able to make it work. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a that's a great the the three pillars there. And I think the other thing in referencing Harmozy's uh, you know, pain to learn faster, as soon as you spend money to learn something, you have skin in the game. If you were just looking up free stuff, you're probably not gonna take action. Most people. I don't know if it's a psychological thing, but as soon as you take your hard earned money to learn a skill, I think you're more likely to see things through. Um whether that's right or wrong, I I just feel pretty confident in saying that. Yeah. I mean, I, I looked at that too. Like when, when I was doing the, the scouting camp that I was, was doing, and I was like, at first I was looking at like, how can I do this as like a free thing for people to come to? And then I was like, no, anything that I've ever got the most value out of, I've paid for because I've actually dedicated, I don't cancel last minute. I don't do, you know, I put the money out yeah. there and go to do it. And I'm willing to learn because I put, spent my hard earned money to go there and you're able to create a better experience too, by being able to do that. But I've learned that in so many different things. I think I was telling you guys, um, you and Chad, when we were talking through for Exodus on something on a call, I was like, I wanted, I've always like wanted to learn more about like blogging and understanding the right way to do that and helping with getting traffic to a website and I never put the the effort into it and then once I spent $500 on a course to be able to do that well now now all of a sudden I'm you, putting you effort it. into it you know what I mean because I have that skin in the game and I, I spent that money and I feel bad if I don't it even comes out like working out you know you you pay a trainer or you have a gym membership that's you know you pay for a year membership or whatever it's like you, you feel you guilty gotta get. you gotta do yeah. it you know yeah no I, I think that's yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think that's just, there's so many, 
so many parallels and so many different things. I think that's something that I realize of you can look at people that are successful as something in a completely different realm. And I like hearing people's stories. I really do. And I think that you can draw on different things of like, oh, they were in a similar stage of their life about now. And then they ended up doing X, Y, Z, or they pivoted to ABC. And I think just looking at everything objectively, that's what I try to do and try to spin it to what would be relevant to myself has, I, I, I think that's been impactful for just a lot of decisions that I've made. Yeah. I mean, I look at, I look at you, you know, someone is in your late twenties and you own a couple of pieces of property and stuff. And it's like, you just talked about your story. It's not like you were just gifted, you know, these properties. And it was like, it, and it doesn't matter if someone does. I, I hear that all the time. Like when someone that does like come into money or whatever, and they, they, oh, they only got that because of this. Well, who cares? Don't that's, that's the minority of the people. Most of the people that got all these great things earned it through some sort of sweat equity that they got to that point. And now they have that money where they can spend it and, and do that. And I look at that, like when I look, talk to people like you or other people's in, in business or anything and it, like that motivates me to like, want to do you know these things. I look back and I have these, these note sheets from seven years ago when I said I wanted to work full time in the hunting industry and like the goals that I had. And I have like long-term goals of like, you know, stretch goals where I want to be. And then the short-term actions to get there. And it just yeah. takes a lot of these little things building up to eventually you get to that, you know, that point. And my idea of like, you know, I, I talk all about hunting the big woods and these, you know, adventure style things, but that doesn't mean that I don't want to own a farm and have a place I can manage someday. Like I do, like that's, I want to yeah. be at that point. And, and, uh, I know I'll get there, but it's going to be through a process of, you know, buying smaller things and, you know, renting and doing things like I'm doing now. And eventually, you know, I'll get to that point. Yeah. Yeah. Just being scrappy. I mean, I, uh, I read Dave Ramsey's book as soon as I graduated college. And so I, <laughs> it's a funny short story, but I had a full tuition scholarship for two years of college. And then I was, um, on vacation and my roommate called me. He's like, Hey, our, our school closed. I was like, what do you mean? How does a college close? Like I, I had a full ride. This sucks. And so, um, <laughs> They they were going to be open for one more year. I could have stayed there. And I was like, man, I just, I want to graduate on time. So I literally pulled up my phone, Googled the cheapest state school in Illinois. That's where I went. And I had to get uh, some student loans. And I was like, all right, if I, like, I didn't have a big income at Exodus and I was, wasn't selling much real estate. And so I read that book and uh, I got a couple lucky breaks along the way. Like one of them is actually hilarious. My buddy was an insurance adjuster and he called me. He's like, Hey, this guy wants to sell this house. And it was dilapidated. It was every adjective and noun you can think of and th so we go and walk it and we're like i don't know because we were going to buy this together and <laughs> he's like i don't know it was like what do you guys think it's worth it's like i don't know we'll give you 10 grand and he's like you know what i'm this never happens like i'm so angry at my stepson i will just give you this house a stranger i swear <laughs> and so it's like and my buddy's like I, I don't know man i was like dude if you don't want it on this i will do it like so we literally got a house for free. We put a new roof on it. And so that was the summer project. We got it to where it looked decent on the outside. And then we sold it and made some money. And they're like, boom, that took care of um, my student loans. And then it's like, I drove a, a like a $2,000 car. And then after that died, I bought a $1,500 truck. And I swear, if I hit a bump, it was going to fall apart. And so like, I did all these things that were really not necessarily that challenging at the time. Because I feel like when you're in your early 20s, you can get away with a lot of dumb stuff. Yeah. Of like... Yeah, I was a dumb young 20 year old, but I was living so uh, under my means just to get to where I wanted to go. And I just knew that was the only path of doing so. And that, you know, 
lucky lucky breaks along the way but you have to make the most of them like i'll never get a free house again from a stranger but it was awesome yeah <laughs> he made it happen that is so that is so funny dave, yeah dave ramsey he's been someone that i you know i read his book and stuff and and i've followed along with a lot of his stuff as far as paying off my debts and like i learned years ago and i was like if i want to do this thing i need to have low risk if i want to go out on my own it's like where are my risks well that's my debt that i have and you know yeah. you don't you can make less money and still be richer than other people that are making more money when you don't have as much that you owe back to somebody and it's like it's pretty simple when you look at it but it's just like getting to that point and it was like i did the you know i put all the money i think it was my I don't remember if it was my student loans or my truck first, one of the two, but I did, did that and, you know, got one of them paid. I think it was my student loans, got that paid off and then took that money and compounded on my truck payment and had that done a lot faster after it. And it was like, okay, now I can breathe. I feel better about it and go to buy it, you know, go to buy my first property like this place and, and eight acres on it. It's like, Okay, I got a really screaming deal on it and it's not like the best thing in the world. It's not my dream house by any means, but I was able to afford it and do that and then be able to have money to be able to buy another place. And it's like, and then that place can make money for you. And it's like, you start compounding these things and, and, and being scrappy. Like I like that description that you said there. And it's like similar to kind of your story. It's just like you do these, these odd things and some, somewhere along the way, things do line up and help you out and take them when they, when they come your way and roll with it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I'm the least handy person ever, but I would roof in the summers. So I was like, all right, well, this is the one thing I know we can do. It needs a new roof. <laughs> so it's like, let's do that. <laughs> like the other stuff I don't know how to do. It's like, all right, we got it looking good. Let's sell it. Like I've, I've exhausted my skill sets and I don't want to put more money into it. And so, yeah, I think, and that's another thing too, is by getting in that position and, and knocking that stuff out early, it allowed me to ride the growth of Exodus too. Or if you had that giant lifestyle creep, I would have went and got a different job that paid more. I mean, that's just the reality of it. Mm-hmm. Like you have to take care of yourself. But by limiting all my expenses and everything else, like I've been afforded a really great opportunity to ride the growth of Exodus throughout the last six or seven years. And so it just, none of this is really that hard. Like, I don't think I'm really that smart. I don't really think it's just like, I'm just willing to do the work and figure it out as I go. Like, and whether that's ignorance, it's like, I'll just figure it out. Like there's enough information out there. There's, I can call enough people. I will figure it out. Simple. Like that's just, that's, how, that's, that's what I feel in my heart on yeah. a daily basis. Well, yeah. And think about like when you're going to buy a property, you know, it's important to obviously run numbers and make sure you can afford something, but there's a big part of just believing that you can do it and then willing to put in the work of however that is to get there. You don't have to have it all figured out. Johnny's another great example of that. Like he always talks about, like he takes off like three months to hunt deer in the fall from his business. And he's just like, I just work my butt off ahead of time and yeah. I know it's going to work out. And I'll, if I need to get work, I'll go get work, you know, and you, it's, sometimes you just have to have kind of that attitude to, to be able to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and he's a perfect example of that too. Like he utilizes his skill sets from his profession to do, do some of the projects that he does. And it's like, everyone has a job. Like, how can you transfer those skills to something else? Yeah. Like, yeah, he, he built this like beautiful camp that everyone look at and be like, oh my gosh, this lodge, and, you know, he you, did it all with, yeah. like with his bare hands. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I yeah, remember he, watching it. Yeah. He did a lot. I was there when he tore down the first little, this junky camp that he bought there, which I still think he should have just 
completely mowed it down and started from scratch but he like you know he i was there when he was taking his excavator and ripping the roof off and then just had some of the structure and then started building off of that and then you know through his work he leveraged people that he knew to be able to help him out he's helped them out in certain situations they help him out and next thing you know he's got this you know his dream lodge cabin that he he's always wanted and being able to to believe in yourself and do that like i see that as like a trend you know like when you know you and myself we talked to a lot of great deer hunters and you start seeing trends in those people but even like successful people in business or whatever else it is you start seeing these trends in people and a lot of it's just like they believe in themselves and they believe they'll figure it out and and do it and that's it sounds so simple to say but it uh kind of is yeah i i think your strategy of of writing writing down not just thinking about it, actually writing down your long-term goals and how to get there I think if more people did that, they would be surprised of, oh, so this is what I need to do on a daily basis or a weekly basis or a monthly basis. I need to make an extra thousand dollars a month. How do I do that? Okay, well, I made an extra thousand dollars a month for two years and I have 24 grand. Now I can go buy a piece of ground and hopefully your normal income is also increasing throughout that time. So I think the the overarching thing is like nail down a lender and figure out how to make out, make just a little bit more money so you can get started and then figure everything else out as you go along. Yeah. Okay. Let's just, let's just do one, one example here and then we'll, we'll end this. But like, say for, say you had a property is a hundred thousand dollars and you need $20,000 down just for easy numbers. Okay. And you wanted to make an extra thousand dollars a month, you know, and 20, 20 months, you'd be able to, to do that. And say you're, you know, you have, I don't know. Yeah. Say you're an electrician, you start doing side projects. You can make that thousand dollars a month and, you know, in 20 months, and then you just watch a property comes up that you're able to get you, you know, you have all the other stuff figured out already where you're going to get, you know, the the loan from at that point and everything. And you're able to do that. And then you can make that payment because you've already figured out how to make extra money if you want and to, to be able to do it. And it's just like, and when you break it into those small steps and you look at something like, I need a hundred thousand dollars for a property, that sounds like a lot. And then, but when you break it down to, I just need to do this extra day of work per week or an extra four hours or whatever it is of doing this thing that, and I do this repeatedly over and over and over again, all of a sudden you have that big thing that seems so far down the road ahead of time. Yeah. Delayed gratification. That's for everything good comes from. And yeah, I, like I said, I just want to nail down. I, I don't think I'm special in any other way. It's just literally just doing it. Yeah. It's plain and simple. Just, just executing against it. And, um, I had another thought, but I think I lost it. So I would say <laughs> I, it was a, it was a point of your example of just by, once you have that hundred thousand dollar parcel too, it's like, then you add value and you continue to do those different things. Then you decide to sell it. And now maybe you get to 175 or a $200,000 property and still living within all, you know, all your personal finances, what, what you know best. But it, the, this is what, this was the thought out of all the people I've talked to. And trust me, I've tried to talk to people that I've tried to find people that could say they regret buying ground or say that they wish they would have waited longer. I've tried to find those people and everyone says they wish they would have started sooner and they have never regretted buying a piece of ground because I have tried to find those people and I just haven't. And if there's someone listening out there that knows of someone, I'd love to have them on the land podcast because I think there's perspective in that. But by and large, the 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 great majority wishes they would have started sooner and don't regret buying it. So I think that's off of a pretty large sample sample size. That's a really good 
way of putting it because I, I have not ever talked to anybody that regretted buying land. And my dad's, you know, kind of put that in me too. And anybody I've talked to, it's like that has bought property and stuff. It's like, you know, you always hear it, it's like land never goes down it never depreciates and they don't make any more of it. And it's like, you hear that, like, but it's so true. <laughs> yeah. Cause I've, trust me, I've tried to find people. Cause then I get, I get emails and stuff like, well, yeah, you just have everyone on there that's successful. It's like, I've tried to find people where it didn't work out well. I just haven't. And so like, yeah. to me, that's a good trend to be a part of. Yeah. And, I, and, and to your point, like over, yeah, there'll be ebbs and flows in any market, but over a long scope of time, it has always been a safe bet. And I think one, one somewhat concern that I have is there's a lot of, a lot of different type of investors that are buying land that wasn't buying land 10 years ago, 20 years ago. It's only going to get harder. What was easy Think of trying to buy land in the 90s. There was no Zillow. There was no internet to where you could go in and pull comps. So the market has gotten more efficient and it's going to continue to get more efficient. And when there's efficiencies in the market, it becomes less, there's less quote unquote screaming deals. We are, it's only going to get more efficient, period. There's going to be more money that floods into it. And so it is only going to get more challenging, point blank, simple. So it's like, you could sit and wait and pretend that there's going to be this giant fallout, which maybe there is, but over a long scope of time, I'm going to take that bet every day. Yeah. I, I'll never forget when back in college, my brother was in the military and me and my cousin were in college and my brother was like, hey, there's this piece of property outside of Bozeman, Montana. It was like, oh, it was like eight grand. Like it wasn't like a big piece of like, well, that wouldn't be cool if we put like a little cabin there and, and stuff. And I'm like, I'm in college, Kurt. Like I can't, I can't do that. You know, and like we went through all these things like whatever. And now you see what the price of everything is oh, my in gosh. that area. It's like, oh my gosh, we would have been rich. You know? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> Seriously, yeah, it's like you're thinking. You're, I couldn't come up with a thousand bucks, you know, yeah. or whatever it was, yeah. to, to go in together with it. Yeah, yeah, I, I couldn't. Have, I couldn't have talked somebody to loan me the money at that point, and like, you know, yeah, this Heck, is list whatever you have on eBay. You probably would have got halfway there. I know, right? <laughs> I, like, I haven't used this. <laughs> oh, it's just it's so funny uh, thinking back on it. But um, the last thing that that I'll ask, completely unrelated to to the land stuff. Uh, I was getting questions recently at the scouting camp. Exodus had been talking about um, uh, new trail camera, um, a regular SD card camera. W what information do you have on that? So um, we've hit a slight snag in production, um, but I can tell you based off of all the specs of the camera, it is going to be really awesome. It's something that we've been working on for a long time. Chad, Chad heads the, the product side of things, so he gets all the credit for it, but it uh, will have a, a different power source. It'll be native 4K video, which I know you're a big video guy. And so that's those are some huge pieces and obviously backed by the five-year warranty. And I think with uh, some of the legislation with cell cameras and everything else, like it, it might be good to have a few good standard cameras <laughs> in your back pocket. And then beyond that is obviously there's a lot of areas where either people don't want to use them for whatever reason or number two, they just don't have signal there. But um, we will have more information about that hopefully before too long. Um, we have a couple working samples and they're, they're sweet. I mean, if, if anyone that's familiar with the lift two, uh, I would, I would two exit and how, and how awesome it is. Oh, the, the battery life is going to be drastically better. You're going to save money with batteries. I'll say that much. And it's, it's going to be, we're really excited for it. And I think uh, any standard camera users should drool over it. I know I do. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, and 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 uh, you know, I always joke with with you guys, and I'm like, you know, you got to keep keep giving the love to the standard cameras because you know, there's a lot of areas that don't have cell signal, and I just, I still just love. I still love checking cameras. Like it is really there, nice yeah. having uh cell pictures and I love it when it comes to my phone and being able to see that and saving time. But like, there's still something about those standard cameras that I just love uh, to be able to have. them. I and mean, I heard about the different type of battery source with me trying to right now, try to find deals on lithium batteries. When you run over so four, 40 cameras, it's like, Oh my gosh, this is going to cost me an arm and a leg. Luckily, like my lift twos, I can get away with one set of lithiums for the entire year. Um, and I don't, I don't have to worry about it, but still it's just like, you know, you have eight batteries and they're like $3 a piece. Now it seems like for the lithiums, I can't remember what the latest that I just bought. I just looked. I was just going to buy some yesterday on Amazon and I honestly had them in the cart. I was like, man, that's too expensive. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of like, I know I need them, but I'm pushing it down the road. I know. 20 bucks for an eight pack. And it's like, Ooh. So we're, we're happy to solve, help solve that issue to where you will save money long-term on battery sources. And the battery life is going to be exponentially longer too. So if you're getting, you know, one year out of a set of lithium batteries, I mean, uh, obviously we don't have the data to tell you how many years it'll be, but depending on the scenario, you should be in really good shape and put more money in your pocket with the, which I'll be curious with. I've always wondered how many lithium batteries are sold a year just for trail cameras. And then I wonder if there's like dynamic pricing in the fall where they just raise their prices, I don't know, 20%. And then like, yeah. there's obviously a demand flow. And I know the trail camera market's minuscule in terms of double A battery use, but I do, I would just love to know what that stat is and, and if they try to exploit that, because if I was a manufacturer, I would. But <laughs> yes, yeah, no, I, I bet. I, I wonder if they're like, you know, they have no idea of anything hunting, and they're like, why do we have this spike? You know, August <laughs> yeah. comes around September. Why is there this spike? You know, coming from these remote areas in the United yeah. States, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would love to know the date on that. But yeah, so we're really excited about that. We have some other exciting things throughout the year. The rival has uh, we launched that earlier this year. That camera is awesome i think anyone that was running the render i really encourage you to try the rival um it it doesn't necessarily have all the flagship things that the render does but dollar for dollar i truly believe it is the best option out there in terms of quality reliability and then obviously the five-year warranty and they there's i mean i ran a bunch of them last fall running a bunch of them right now and uh, i think anyone that gets their hands on them will be impressed yeah, I I, I uh, agree. I'm excited to get my hands on the rival and try it out. And we were talking, you know, and I was like, man, I don't know if I have AT and T service because I have a Verizon phone in places. And I think it might have been you that had brought it up. And I was talking to people at the scouting camp about it because that was one thing they brought up. And they're like, you know, I don't know if I have AT and T service. And I was like, but still, I was like, okay, say you get to an area that doesn't have good enough service. I was like, for 180 dollars, is it 180 dollars? Yeah, retails one seventy nine. Yeah, one seventy nine. Yeah, one seventy nine. You can get a camera that could be a really good, even SD card camera, if it doesn't work for the cell service and still get the five year warranty and everything that comes along with it. I was like, that you know, I just had a guy email me um, uh, about it, and he's like, I'm picking up three of the three of the rivals. He's like to try out, and he's like, I'm I'm pumped to to try them and and see how they how they work, and and. Uh, 
I don't know. We've 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 talked about it in the podcast plenty of times before, but you know, when it comes to it comes to trail cameras and the valuable data, it's uh it's it's important to have that warranty that's behind it and and then also just the the quality of knowing it's gonna work when you put your hard earned time into putting it in a place and especially when you leave them for a while like I do. It's always good when yeah. you know they're gonna come back and they're gonna be working. Yeah, absolutely. And one other thing thing too is if someone bought one, we have a thirty day I feel like a, I'm on an infomercial, but like we do have a 30 day money back guarantee. And the only reason I say that is we get customers that are unsure and it's like, we'll buy it. If it doesn't work there, you know, we'll, we'll refund you. It doesn't do us any good to have, you have a camera that you can't use. So, um, if you are on the fence and there's, I think most people will be surprised of where you will get signal. And obviously it's different throughout the country. I mean, there's some spots where Verizon's dead and AT&T works, but, yeah. um, and yeah, I mean, our customer service is there to help you too. So if you ever do buy one, you have some questions, we have a bunch of stuff on our YouTube channel. And then also you can call and talk to someone that's actually passionate about the project or the product and, and understand it. And, and we'll, we're there, we're in the business of solving problems. So if you call, we're going to solve a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely recommend checking out the YouTube channel. A lot of really good, I mean, other than just like the podcast and the other video stuff that helps you from a deer hunting perspective, from, but making your cameras work efficiently, even whether they're Exodus or another brand that you have so much good resource and information. I was just on there the other day looking up there was, I can't remember what I was, uh, what I was, um, looking up on there, but it was like something about, uh, using the camera more efficiently. And I was, I was going through and watching the videos and it's like, you know, I know you and Chad like extremely well, but I'm sitting there, you know, watching your videos of like, and I've used trail cameras my whole life, but like learning these different tricks on, on, uh, you know, being able to make your camera work more efficiently. And I think that that's a, it's a really valuable resource and love that that's what you guys do and put in education, you know, first and foremost at, at the, at the company there, you know, even beyond the, the product standpoint. And I think anybody on the end consumer side can appreciate that. And that's why I don't know, it was five, six years ago that I bought my first camera from you guys. And, uh, mm-hmm. and then, you know, eventually started working together down the road and I've got, I've got a pile of lift twos and renders and, and, uh, put them, put them work. Oh yeah. Made for. Yeah. I, I love, I love getting a hold of Jason. I'm like, Hey, a bear destroyed one of my cameras. You <laughs> know, that's, that's, that's the only time I've had where I've had a, a failure so far. And I can honestly say that out of all my cameras has been when a bear has, uh, or a person has destructed it, but that's what the warranty's for. So. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that and that, you know, Jace takes care of you. Yeah, <laughs> so, he does. It, and that's the same for anyone that buys our cameras. Yes, 100%. Well, Jake, thank you for coming on. How about you tell everybody where they can find out uh more about you, you know, the Land Podcast, Exodus, everything you got going on. Yeah, so you can go to exodusoutdoorgear.com for the cameras, arrows, everything else, and then uh, the Exodus podcast goes live every Tuesday. And we have our YouTube channel, uh, Exodus Outdoor Gear. And then for the Land Podcast, it's simply called Land Podcast. And have a YouTube channel there just under my name, Jake Hofer. And uh, I have a website too, whitetail.land, which there's more things I want to do there. But in the execution list, it's a little bit lower. So <laughs> so, so there's a lot of different things there. So I, I encourage everyone to go out there. And if anyone has any specific questions, I'm always happy to help any way I can, whether it's about cameras or land. Um, try to Try to be as helpful as possible. Love it, man. Again, thank you so much for coming on, Jake. Thanks for having me.
Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.